Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now today, I want to teach, you know, when you are growing in the faith, or perhaps so those of you who received Jesus Christ, at one point in life, a preacher walked to you and said, now that you are born again, now that you are a Christian, Live for God or live unto God. See, it's a very, very common instruction when it comes to the church today. They tell us, live for God or live unto God. And so many people in the ways they know how, they're trying to live for God or unto God. But tonight I want to show us exactly what that statement means. Because as I'm sharing, many of us here listening and watching across the world, you're going to realize today that many of you did not know what it means to live for God or to live unto God. Because people say, oh, I live for God. I live unto God. I live unto God. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'm living unto God. I'm living for God. What does it mean to live for God? And so we have many doctrines that are told in that area. And majority of which, unfortunately, are not true. They're wrong. And so we have many people who think that they are living for God or unto God, but they're not living for God or unto God. Now, allow me to make a disclaimer in Romans, the 14th chapter, the 7th verse. Allow me to make this disclaimer because it's important for me to emphasize this before I go deep into what I'm going to minister. Generally and truthfully speaking, the Bible says, none of us liveth to himself. None of us, are so powerful. None of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. It's important for us to understand that before we go deep into this. There are people who assume that they are life for themselves. Or to themselves. But the Bible says, none of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. When you say somebody has died, they don't just die to themselves or for themselves. We live to something or somebody and we die to something or somebody. You know, until we show how vulnerable the man was created by God, how vulnerable man, the first Adamic, was created by God, how vulnerable man is, we will never understand how much we need God. The Bible says somewhere in Jeremiah that it is not in man to know his way. Do you know that even if you assume that you know your way and you know what you're doing, Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know that the way of man is not in himself. That is so deep. The way of man is not in himself. And he says it's not in man. It's not in man at all to know his way. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You get, oh, I think I know what I'm doing. Listen, God has not created a man to know what he's doing. You can assume that you do, but you don't. That's a very awakening experience to know. Because see, we assume sometimes that in our own ability, we can know what to do. We can even judge others who we think don't know what they're doing. Now put those three fingers in you as you point to the brother or sister next to you. Because you assume you do, but you don't also. Man has been created so vulnerable that it's not possible for a man independently to do something by his own will or way or life. You're either controlled by one person or another. You're either controlled by darkness or light. There is no middle ground. You cannot say, I'm not under control of the devil or even God. I'm just there in the middle. It's not possible. God has not created us to be that way. No. 
God has made us as vessels. Hello. That's why when you become born again, he says you have a treasure in earthen vessel that the excellence of power might be of God. So it doesn't matter how much intellect you're applying in life. It doesn't matter how much, you know, wisdom comes out of you. It doesn't matter how much understanding is in you. You are a vessel. The only thing that differentiates you, the believer, from anybody in the world is because now you get a treasure. That light for God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. But now he has put a light inside you, a guiding light inside you, a certain instructor inside you, the person of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, with whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. But before that, any man walking cannot do it on himself. You cannot do it by yourself. It's not possible. So somebody can say, oh, you know me, I'm not really an atheist, I'm agnostic. I don't really believe in God, but I don't doubt him either. I'm just there. I don't doubt him, but I don't believe in him. I don't say that you guys are wrong, but I'm good here. I'm learning, I'm not yet there. You're either in light or darkness. It's not possible to be in the middle. Understand that. It will help you. It will help you as you grow in God because you will never fully yield to God until you get the true picture of your unyielded self, even in its most perfect character. Because there are people in the world who are so good. They're good people, but they're not born again. Trust me, if you find guys in the world and ask them, what do you think somebody needs to do to go to heaven? You know what they'll say? They'll say, they just need to be a good person. Yeah, that's what comes to their heads. If you're a good person, therefore you're going to heaven because you're a good person. But it doesn't matter how much good you are. There is a separating, a dividing line in humanity. And that's those who dwell in light or those who dwell in darkness. And that has nothing to do with our character. No, character comes secondary. The nature comes first. Never forget that. Because if you're just talking about nature, Satan has transformed himself as an angel of light. He can appear in light. Satan can appear as a good person. But that doesn't make him a good person. Do you know there are people who are convinced that Satan loves them? And they serve him because they're convinced that Satan loves them. So he can appear like. You see? That's why the Bible says we regard no man in the flesh. Because we need to understand the spiritual substance of a thing before we can define this person holistically. Somebody shout, hallelujah, glory to God. So if we cannot live on ourselves, we live to some sort of thing. Before you were born again, even in your most perfect sense of character, you were a child of darkness. Believe it or not. Because you are in the fallen nature. And no matter how much good you were before you became born again, the seed of darkness, death and deception was within you somewhere. When you receive Jesus Christ, you start living unto him. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the 14th verse, if you will read from the Amplified Version, he says, for the love of God controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one man died for all, then all died. You see how that happens. When he died for our sins, all of us died with him. And the Bible says in the 15th verse, he died for all so that those who live might no longer live to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised for their sake. Now, don't be confused when he says that those that live might not live for themselves. Don't be confused to think that it means that they can live for themselves. No, it's a more humble term to mean those that live for darkness. Because I assured us in Jeremiah, it's not possible to live for yourself. You see, so it's very important for us to understand the context. You understand? It's like if I get a phone call and I'm with somebody on the other side and that person was planning to go for a trip, okay? And they're going somewhere. And I'm here, I'm going to call with them. I can say, oh, so you're going tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, let's go. Now, I might say let's go. It doesn't mean that I'm going with them. But it could actually imply that I'm agreeable with their going. 
Do you understand that? I'm agreeable with their going. I know the story of a child who failed his exams. He did not excel as a parent wanted to. The parent told the son, let's repeat. Really, who was repeating the class? The child. You understand? Let's repeat. Or perhaps maybe you could say, yeah, in the sense of that he's going to pay school fees again. Yeah, but school fees is school fees. Who is really repeating? The child. So figures of speech are in scripture. And it's also important for us by wisdom to know what God is telling us. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he says, if he died for all, uh, he died for them so that all of those who might live no longer live to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. So we live to God. When you become born again, you're living to Jesus and for Jesus. But the question now is how do you live to Jesus? How do you live for Jesus? Let me tell you what our earlier preachers used to say. They used to tell us, this is how you live for Jesus. Number one, they said, Get rid of all that you have been doing in the world. Stop lying, stop drinking, stop doing this, stop sleeping around, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop sin. Walk out of sin. That would mean that you are living for God. Yeah, you're living for Jesus. If you are a liar, stop lying. You're living for Jesus. You're living for Jesus. And as much as that in its own sense, to some extent, is true, but that is secondary. It's not the primary instruction for a person which is born again. You don't tell them, now that you're born again, start living this way. Because, you see, many people don't understand that right there, they've given them the law. Stop living this way. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's the only way you can show that you're living for God. Now, this that I'm preaching, not many people are able to understand. But if you understand it, it's going to relieve you. It's going to give you a sort of liberty in God that is going to help you live a good life in God. You'll see even your character adjusting to the way of life that you have received in Christ when you understand the order. Remember, the gospel is a principled life. The gospel is a life of order. When Luke is writing, he writes in a particular order to Theophilus that he might understand or have the certainty of the things in which he has been instructed because there is an order. He says, I wrote in order from the very first thing. I write to thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. I mean, certain things in the gospel come before others. They come before others. They come before others. It's like when you're talking to a young man to tell him, you know, you need to get married. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, make yourself fit in the field and then build yourself a home. So you see, there's an order. You don't just wake up and fall in love with a girl and say, now I'm going to marry you. You understand? No, that's not just the way of the Spirit. You make yourself fit in the field. In Proverbs 24, verses 27, prepare your work without and make it fit for yourself in the field. And then afterwards, it says, build a what? A house. Or make yourself a what? A home. You see? That's the order. That's the order. So you don't say, oh, I've fallen in love with somebody. I'm going to marry them tomorrow. And you ask them, do you have food? No. Do you have a job? No. You're just going to get married. Yeah. Because God has told me to get married. Okay? So they get married. And then tomorrow morning, the woman wants breakfast. And the guy says, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You understand? Thank you, Lord. You see, for what? For what? You have to get one thing right and then you get the others. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Get a living. They said one day I need to be big, but at least know that your wife will not starve. Your child will not beg. You see what I'm saying? And then build yourself a home or house. Some versions use a home. So there's an order in the way things are done. And the order in this instance is not that now that you are born again, live for God by not doing this and not doing that and not sinning and not doing that. That's not how people live for God. Let me show you how we live for God. Romans chapter 6, the 8th verse, if you read the Amplified Version. It says, now, if we have died with Christ. Remember what I said? That now we recall as his love has constrained us and his love has impelled us, has controlled us. We carry the opinion that if one man died for all, then all died. Because one man died for all. Are we following? Now, Romans 6 tells us, if we died with Christ, if you died with Christ, he says, we believe that we shall also live with him, comma. 
Now, we're still on the living with him. But we're going on that journey. Now, the next verse says, because we know that Christ, the anointed one, being once raised from the dead, will never die again, and death no longer has power over him. So it means when you become born again, you live with Christ. So we say, do you live with Christ? I live with him. Christ is not a visitation. No. Some people confuse that, that I was visited by Christ on Thursday or Tuesday. No, those are just open encounters, open visions. But that didn't mean that because you did not have an encounter or a vision that Jesus Christ is not with you. He's with us, all of us who believe. And so don't think that you're most special because you had an encounter on Wednesday and another man did not. No, that comes for a specific purpose. But Christ, there is no way that we can assume that because I have not had an open vision with Jesus or Jesus, so it means I don't live with him. The Bible is clear that Christ through faith may dwell in your hearts. See, Christ dwells in our hearts through what? But I'm going somewhere, so beautiful. He says, verses 10, for by the death he died, listen, he died to sin, ending his relationship to it once for all. And the life that he lives, he is living to God in unbroken relationship with him. Oh, this is beautiful. God first gives us the sample, the example of Jesus. And he says, look, he carried our sin on the cross. And in dying to sin, so it didn't mean that he led a sinful life, but at the cross, he carried all our sins. And at his death, when he died to sin, the Bible says, he ended the relationship to it and once and for all. The Bible says now the life that he has or lives, he's living to God in unbroken relationship with Jesus. So that means when sin was in the life of Christ at the cross, he was disconnected from the Father. That is why at the cross he cries, Father, Father, why have you what? Betrayed me. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? He's telling his father, why have you forsaken me? Because the Bible says sin disturbs relations. But before the taking on of our sins at the cross, he led a sinless life. The Bible says he knew no sin. And when he knew no sin, he lived in unbroken relationship or fellowship with the father. Are you following? So at the cross, when he is disconnected from the father because he has carried all the sins of the world, he feels like he is forsaken by the Father. And at the death and resurrection, the Bible says that as he died to sin, he ended the relationship to it. And after that resurrection, he is restored to a higher level, but also in a sinless life. All right? And at that point, the Bible says his life or the life that he lives, he lives to God in unbroken relationship with him. That means for a man to live in unbroken relationship with God, he must have a sinless life. Because with sin, the Bible says it disturbs relations. You cannot have a perfect relationship with God through sin. Now, when he died, he says all men died with him. Follow me. All men died with him. Now, we have seen that he lives in unbroken relationship. Right? Now, verses 11. Listen to the instruction of how we live for God. Listen, this is so powerful. Verses 11 is so powerful. So powerful. He says, even so, consider yourselves also to be dead to sin. He's not telling you die to sin. Oh, he's not telling you die to sin, brother. He's telling you consider yourself dead to sin and your relationship to eat broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Do you know that that dispels so much false doctrine? Romans 6.11 breaks institutions. Romans 6.11 can get you persecuted. A man can even want to shoot you and kill you. A man can commit his life to destroy you for the rest of his life. Why? Because of Romans chapter 6 verses 11. Because it's telling us to live unto God is not an action. It's an awakened consideration. To understand that if Jesus Christ died for you, I see demons are living people. Demons of religion are living people. Listen, he says, even so, consider. It's a consideration. But that consideration comes from the awakening of understanding that when Jesus Christ died for you, you died with him. When he died to sin, you died to sin. That is irrespective of the state of your... Listen, this has nothing to do with what you did yesterday or last week. Oh, some people are saying, now he's telling people to sin. 
No, no, no. I'll get to the verses later and I'll explain. That's not what I'm saying. And if you think that that's what I'm saying, I don't blame you because you've been deceived for so long. But you see, let God be true. Let God be true. And this is what the word of God says. It doesn't say otherwise. So I cannot follow what you have built as a doctrine over the years when I have a scripture that clearly tells me that I'm in unbroken fellowship with God and alive unto him from the place of the awakening to consider that actually when he died, I died with him. And when he was raised and reconciled to unbroken fellowship with the father, so I too am in unbroken fellowship with him. That is so deep. That means if you understand Romans 6:11, when a man becomes born again, we're supposed to tell them, now that you are born again, brother, regardless of his issues or her issues, now that you are born again, sister, you are going to live a life, a life unto God. You're going to live a life to God. You will be alive to God. You have an unbroken fellowship because of this salvation. But look at how people, even after salvation, we tell men that it's not enough. There's stuff you still need to do so your relationship is not broken with the Father or with Jesus Christ. And so, you know what happens? People start doing certain things in the indifference that they are not one or in fellowship or they're not alive unto God. And so they try to be alive. They're doing things to be alive. And God is looking back. He's like, oh, myself. This is God saying, oh, myself. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. Let me show you how deceptive this is. I was born and raised in Uganda. I love my nation. I built an altar here. I could have built it anywhere in the world. But I love this nation. See? In the physical, I'm Ugandan. Spiritual, I'm from Zion. So, it's like a Ugandan getting born in Uganda. Their lineage is Ugandan. And then at birth, somebody tells them that you are a German. You are a German. And then they grow up believing that they are what? Germans. And then one day, the guy goes for a DNA test and then discovers that even if you go generation, there's no German in him. Imagine living like a German, but there's no German in him. You see what I'm saying? Do you know how many people have struggled for years? They're born again, but they have failed to live for God. So they think. Because they are looking at their actions to think that this is the proof that I'm not living for God. And I'm telling you, there are people who live so well. They are not thieves and faithful. They had workers. They love their wives and do everything right. But they're not living for God because they are not born again. They have not understood the power of the cross and the salvation that Christ has shed for us. And all that they are doing is actually self-righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how good, how good this person is, if they have not received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they're dead. That's what the Bible says. Remember when you were dead in your own trespasses. That means it's death. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says he has quickened you. He has quickened you which were dead in your trespasses. He has quickened you which were dead in your trespasses. You see? Because the first man died in Adam. Now, this is beautiful. So he says, consider yourself to be dead to sin and your relationship broken to it, but alive unto God. If you do not consider yourself dead to sin, you will never live a sinless life. But our people get it all wrong and they think that you have to first live a sinless life consider yourself alive unto God. And God is saying, no, the right order is if you never see yourself dead in Christ and alive with him, if you never see that you are constantly in unbroken fellowship with Christ in spite of your state in the flesh, you will never live a sinful life. You will never have the results of a Christian character. That is so powerful because your believing precedes your living. You don't leave Sam for people to believe or for you to believe that you're Sam. No, actually the true order is you believe it first and that faith in it 
comes with a power for you to live it. So if you see somebody struggling to live it, either they don't believe it, or they were deceived that you begin by living it to believe it. Let's continue. Verses 12. Now, he says, after we have considered ourselves, now he says, let not sin therefore. You see? You see how now our actions come after? When you have understood that I live in unbroken relationship with the Father, therefore, he says, do not let sin rule as king in your mortal short-lived perishable bodies to make you yield to its cravings and be subject to its lust and evil passions. But you see, the person who has the power not to has firstly to understand that he is dead to it and his fellowship is unbroken. I'll tell you why. Because people see and somebody makes a mistake, Christian, and then they feel God has left him. And he has not left them. No, it's just a wrong doctrine. Taught to them. It's deception. They think that God has left them because they sinned last week. And because many people teach that way. Oh, you have sinned. God has left you. But he said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. You mean he did not know what you were going to do? He did not know that sometimes you'd mess up? He knew. But in spite of all that, he said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Do you know how many people, when they fall, they say, oh, the Holy Spirit has left me. And then they go back to the Psalms, another covenant. And then they say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then they start singing. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And then they feel holy because they're singing Psalms 51. Listen, David was under another covenant. Jesus was not yet dead. And so before Christ was dead, indeed, when sin came in the life of a man, relationship failed. The relationships failed. And when that relationship dies with a man and God, he cannot hear God. God cannot connect to him. And so David, where he's at, he is right to sing that song because the master is not yet come. But you cannot get into 2021 and still sing like David. Because if we have to take everything that was written for us in the Old Testament without understanding why it ends in the New, then every male born shall be or should be circumcised on the eighth day. Isn't it? Yeah. Some of us should understand what Jesus came to do and why he came to do it. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Somebody shout hallelujah. So again, like I said, there's somebody thinking, I think he's saying that we should sin. No, no, no. The problem is not the word or the preacher. The problem is you. Because you have a wrong foundation. So you see, now it tells us, let us now not sin or allow sin to rule as king in our mortal bodies to make us yield to its gravings. Verses 13, do not continue offering or yielding your bodies or members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer and yield yourselves to God as though you have been raised from the dead. Again, listen. Yes, repeat it. As though you have been raised from the dead to perpetual life and your bodily members and faculties to God, presenting them as implements of righteousness. Somebody shout hallelujah. But how do you do that? By continuing to keep the other mindset. Because if that mindset leaves, if that attitude leaves, if that Revelation leaves your spirit. You cannot live a righteous life. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. And verses 14, listen. For sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you since now you are not under law as slaves but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. Can somebody clap your hands for that? He has said, sin shall not have dominion over you. 
Since you are not under the law as slaves, but under grace as subjects to God's favor and mercy. Now let me ask, how does sin dominate a man's life? According to Romans 6.14. Sin dominates a man's life if they are under the law. So for sin to dominate your life, you don't need to steal or hang out with the wrong people or do this and do that. No, 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 no. According to scripture, the only way sin can have dominion over you is if you are under the law, consciously or unconsciously. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. Sin only has dominion over a man if they're under the law. But it says, now you who have understood that you are dead unto sins but alive unto God and you have an broken relationship with him. Of course, you should now have a preconceived understanding that this is not according to your works in the flesh, but this is according to the doing of God's love and mercy and grace. That's what it means to be under grace. Grace is the reminder that I'm not righteous because of what I did last week. I am righteous because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. So we live under that. So what if you see a few weaknesses in your flesh? Don't leave the mind, the mindset. Never let any sin in your body take you away from the revelation that you are dead to sin and its relationship and that you're living in unbroken fellowship with God. If you understand that, if you understand that, you will never disqualify yourself from God's promise because of your weakness. But rather, God will start taking this weakness out of you and replace it with strength because he needs that mind to work in you. If that mind is not in you, he cannot operate in you. This is so powerful. So he says, what are we then to conclude? Shall we sin because we live not under the law, but under God's grace and favor? Now, now you see why it's obvious to ask the question. Now you see why it's obvious to ask the question. Because when we see how the grace of God operates, we could assume or some could assume that we should sin. Or some even assume that the preachers of grace are telling people to sin. But it's not us. They don't understand this. Paul saw that some people will misunderstand us. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Romans 3.8, some slanderously say and report that we say that let us do evil so good should come. Some say it. But that's their problem. It's not ours. Because Satan is doing that so he can take you away from the message. Because if he can take you away from the message, then you will stay under the law. And if you stay under the law, sin will have dominion over you and if you are under the dominion of sin you're going to live a life of bondage and slavery ha ah, okay and you know many christians are not smart enough to figure that out even people with phds in theology they're not smart enough to figure this equation are we following and it says certainly not and it says do you know that if you continually surrender yourself to anyone to do his will, you're the slaves of him who you obey. And whether that to be to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, right doing and right standing with God. He's saying this. This is what he's explaining. He says, do you know, when you continually surrender yourself to anyone, you do his will. When you continually surrender yourself to anyone, you do his will. Now, I have told us that when we continue thinking that I am dead to sin, I'm alive unto God. My fellowship with him is not broken. Not because I did right or wrong, but because Jesus Christ is in that reconciliation. That is surrendering yourself to him. And as you continue surrendering yourself to him through right believing, he says you will do his will. That means if you continue thinking, I'm a sinner, you will continue sinning. Because you're surrendering to the power of sin. Maybe let us read it in the message. Let's go back to verses 12. He says, You must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives and do not give it the time of the day. Verses 13. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised. You see? That's what he's saying. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time remember you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Always remember that you are alive unto God. 
the believer is not someone who should live to God only. No, but predominantly, he is someone who lives to God. You see? So the message has given it so clearly here. And it says, always have a full-time remembrance that you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Verses 14. So sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer, but you're living in the freedom of God. Verses 15. So since we are out from under the old time tyranny, he says, does that mean that we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to our mind? Verses 16. Hardly. You know very well enough, he says, from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. So offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act, but offer yourself to the ways of God and the freedom, and that freedom never quits. All your lives, the Bible says, you've what? You've let sin tell you what to do. Now it tells you, do not let sin tell you what to do. Verses 17, he says, but thank God you've started listening to a new master. Thank God that you're not listening to the law, but you're listening to grace for the law was brought by Moses, brought by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. You see the difference? You see the difference of the ministry? The law was brought by Moses. He says was given by Moses. When Moses got the law, he gave it to us. When he got the law, Ten Commandments says, there they are, use them. But grace and truth came through Jesus. That is the difference. It came. That means he dwelt among us and we beheld his only glory as a true son of God, full of grace and truth. Grace was so practical that it came in the flesh. The law came on stones. Grace came in the flesh. So who's more relatable? Can you talk to a stone? You cannot. Somebody shout amen. So verse 17, as we're reading in the message version, we want to thank God that you are no longer what? Yes, the Amplified says, but thank God, though you were once slaves to sin. You see, the whole slavery sin is past tense. He didn't consider what's happening at that point. He's considering what Christ has done. You were slaves to sin. You've become obedient, the Bible says, with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and to which you were committed. You see, now you are obedient to a certain teaching. It begins with how we are taught. Hallelujah. Once a man understands the true teaching, a certain standard of teaching in which they were instructed and commanded. And verses 8, he says, And having been set free from sin, again, that's past, you have become the servants of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will in thought, in purpose and action. In thought, listen, in purpose and in action. In thought, in purpose and in action. In thought, in purpose and in action. Now ye are conformed to the will of God. But how are you conformed to the will of God? Because you become servants of righteousness. How have you become servants of righteousness? Because you obey the certain teaching. And what is that teaching? That you have to recon yourself, consider yourself dead and to sin, but alive and to God. You see where I began? You see where I began? Now this is one way of life. And then there's somebody who they were telling, the moment you become born again, now start living a good life. Oh, that's an error. Start doing this. It's a sign of you living to God. Partially true. What is the whole truth? Because remember the Bible says a little living spoils the whole door. A little, a little living. A little living. The Amplified says a little inclination to error. A little inclination to error. A few false teachers. The Bible says, leavens the whole lamp and it perverts the whole conception of faith or misleads the what? The whole church. Somebody can teach one little doctrine and destroy a whole church. A whole generation. Because a little, little. It's with Satan, you don't need much. He just needs to put a little. When he went to Adam and Eve, has he said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Little. He just he didn't need to put so much. And it can come in a collar, it can come in a suit, it can come in a tie, it can come in a very good orator, it can come in a handsome guy, it can come in a good accent, it can come in a funny accent, it can come in any color. But once it comes, it can mislead your concept of faith. You know why people are dying? Many people even have a wrong concept of faith. The concept of faith. Verses 18, if you read that from the message version, he said, 
one whose commands set you free to live, his commands have set us free to live openly in his freedom. That's true freedom. Freedom does not begin when you live a righteous life. Freedom begins when you receive the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through faith and not works. That's why in Galatians chapter 2 verses 19, if you read the Amplified Version, he says, for through the law, under the operation of the curse of the law, have in Christ's death for me, myself, died to the law and all the law's demands upon me so that I may henceforth live to and for God. Did you hear that? Let's read it again. He says, for through the law, under the operation of the curse of the law, because the law came and it showed me how much inefficient and ineffective I was, I, the Bible says, have in Christ's death for me, myself, he says, I have died to the law and all the law's demands upon me. I'm dead to the law and all the law's demands upon me. Next line. So that, listen, I may henceforth live to and for God. So how do we live to God? How do we live for God? When we understand that we are dead to the law, but alive unto God through the ministry of grace. When we preach grace, grace is more than a doctrine for us to just live righteous lives. Grace is a revelation for us to live the life of God. That's what grace does. Now, here is the wall. You fell last evening. Or last week, you made a mistake. And when you go to prayer, you say, Father, I know why I don't hear you. I've sinned. Cain killed Abel. And after killing him, he could still hear God. They started communicating. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? This is a man who has just killed a man. But they're even arguing. Now I'm going to do this to you. Ah, no, no, no. How can you do this? This is a man who has just killed. But he can still hear the voice of God. And yet that's another covenant. When you understand this, you will hear God so easily. You'll understand that the voice of God in the New Testament is not based on your act. Even the worst, worst Christian right now, if they're really born again of that light, they still hear God. His fellowship is still with them. But by doctrine, we can break that voice. That doesn't mean that God no longer loves this guy or woman and they want to talk to them. No, it only means that we have invented our own doctrine and the man has swallowed it hook, bait and sink like a drug and it's now having its consequences in the man's flesh. So people send messages, Apostle, pray for me. I've done this, I've done that. I don't even hear God anymore. You know, I feel he's far. And we even sing it. Lord, you seem so far away. <laughs> A million miles or more, it feels today. And then somebody can relate. Ha, huh, that's true. That's true. You understand what I'm saying? So somebody is actually killed. And somebody says, Lord, I have lost my faith. How can you say, I've lost my faith? I've lost my faith. I must confess right now that it's hard for me to pray. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, life and death are in the power of a tongue. Somebody's confessing. So they break their fellowship, they break their faith, they break everything, and then I will see. What are you singing? How can a man with broken fellowship sing? How can a man without faith sing? What are you singing? You understand? God is not emotional. He's not where you are. Are you hearing me? You know, while they're there, some of us are. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. And you start feeling the Holy Spirit right that moment. For me. Uh -huh. 
My name is graven on his hands. My name is written. Come on, sing it. On his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can beat me thence deeper. No tongue can beat me thence. Read the second verse. Uh -huh. When Satan, not if, puts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt with thee. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sins. Who made you see where your vision is? My sin. Uh -huh. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. Why does he pardon you? To look on him and pardon. What does the last verse say? Behold him there. That's a man who sees Jesus. And love my perfect spotless righteousness. That great unchangeable I am. The King of glory and of grace. The King of glory and all of us, let's sing the next verse. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hidden Christ on high. In Christ my Savior and my Lord. In Christ my Savior and my Lord. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, clap your hands to Jesus. That is the mind you need because when you have it, how many of you, when you discovered the grace of God, somehow sin started to leave you? You don't even know why it went. You just discovered you lost the appetite of certain things. You lost the appetite of certain things. You lost the appetite. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Help me choir, join me. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust. Wait, wait, no, 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 don't just sing it. The man said, I don't trust the sweetest frame. Even if I'm at my best, I don't trust it. Even if I'm at my most perfect character, he says, I don't trust it, but I wholly trust in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are we going to sing it? Let's go higher. Come on. Uh -huh. My hope is beautiful, nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Come on! All other ground is sinking sand. Now listen to what strengthens you. When dark 
seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy hell my anchor holds me in the veil on Christ the solid rock I stand all at the ground he's sinking all at the ground is your support now his of his covenant his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way Celebrate God. Just take a second. Come on. Come on. Thank God that you live in unbroken fellowship with God and that your relationship to sin is dead. You are alive unto God. Keep that mindset. You're going to see sin living because it's the only way you can surrender yourself to God. I want to pray for those of you who have been dealing with guilt, condemnation, the love of God now constrains you. It upholds you. It compels you to give an opinion that Jesus died that you might live. And I decree and I declare that whatever is doing troubling you, it leaves your life. It has no dominion over you. Addictions are not yours. In Jesus' mighty name. And I pray for those of you who are sick. Heal in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for marriages to be restored. I pray for careers to be restored. I pray for dreams to be restored in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now, right now. Say these words. Say these words. I don't need to tell you why. You've heard why. Say, Father, I thank you for Jesus because he shed his blood for my sins and he was raised for my glory. Today, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.